The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Last week, we had an awesome time. Um, I taught basically some, we skimmed some things from the book of Revelation. And so just to get the ball rolling here, um, you know, the book of Revelation is, if you think about it, it, it's... It's the one book that by its very title means to reveal something. You know what I mean? Revelation, which is, all right, from the Greek word apocalypse. Now, when you hear the word apocalypse, you know, what do we kind of think of? Worldwide, massive destruction and utter desolation and, uh, you know, bombs going off and California sinking into an ocean. And, I mean, all these, all these kinds of things. You know, it's great. Have you guys seen this thing where the state of California is now looking to divide into three separate states? Uh, Northern California, Southern California, and I think California. And there, there's, last I saw, I believe it was over five, this past week, 500,000 signatures to petition this to come up for uh, yeah, Yahweh. Great idea. Yeah, right? Oh my gosh. Oh, it's, it's really Seriously. So that is like, for me... I'm sure one or two sections of it would love to be in their own country. And I'm sure some of us would say, help yourself. Yeah. Um, God bless them. Now, uh, that's, that's to me that's crazy, man. Like to think that in my lifetime I could see you know big old California. That's just wild to me. I don't know. <clears throat> Anyways, so you know when you hear the word apocalypse, we think of these things. Uh, unfortunately, all right, that is emphatically uh, in just. Undeniably, emphatically, that is not what the word apocalypse means. All right, now, well, let me just get, just to kind of get this going here. Check this out. Pardon. Now, look here behind me on the board. Am I on? No. No? No, So what's that say? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So the word revelation there is the Greek word apocalypse. Apocalypsis or apocalypse. And what does it actually mean? To reveal, to unveil, is really a great way to say it, to unveil, uh, to manifest. So it it, it can also mean to disclose truth, uh, which I like that. Because that's what the whole book of Revelation is doing. It's, It's removing the veil of the old covenant creation, the old covenant system, and unveiling Jesus and his eternal new covenant system and there's so many things we've got to try to undo years of indoctrination and try to understand things from a strictly biblical perspective 
all right? And just, just from the onset, <clears throat> once again, look at this. We'll, we'll look at a few things here. Now, this is hard for, for some people, and I get it, because if you've, you know, there's preachers out there that I love, you know, and sometimes we just have, especially if you financially supported them over the years, or if you fed on lots of their teachings, it's hard, it hurts your pride, is, is what it amounts to. To say, well, I've, I've so invested myself mentally, emotionally, financially into ministries that, that teach this other stuff. And it, and it takes an extremely profound level of humility to say, let God be true and the traditions of anyone else a liar. All right? And it's hard for people. So notice here again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. What's it say? The revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. So from the onset, we see that the book is about removing a veil, removing something that has been, up to that point, veiling Jesus. Right? Now, in 2 Corinthians 3, and I'm not turning there, we see very clearly that the veil is the law of Moses. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that the law written and engraved on stones, the law of Moses, Ten Commandments, was a veil over the hearts and minds of the people. And he says that Moses even, see Moses saw, think about this, Moses, God says, what do you want? He says, I want to see your very being. I want to see you face to face. I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, can't do that because you couldn't handle it. You'll just implode, explode. You'll just, you can't, you can't, you know what I'm saying? So it'd be like getting too close to the sun. It didn't mean God was going to murder him. It just, you know what I'm saying? You couldn't handle it. So he saw a veiled version of God's glory. He said, I'm going to pass by you. And that's the old covenant system. It was a fading, transitory, inferior glory. All right? Of course, it's beautiful that Thousands of years later, uh, Matthew 17, Moses' prayer is finally answered. As he comes there, he and Elijah, and he sees the glory of God. He sees Jesus face to face. So down the road, he got, he got that prayer answered. And that's a pretty good deal, you know. But it was, a, 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 2 Corinthians 3 says it was a, a veiled glory. Paul said and went on to say, he said, but we use great boldness and plainness of speech because our glory the new covenant glory which ministers righteousness, not condemnation. He says this glory is a superior glory. And the old covenant glory, by comparison, even though it was good, by comparison of the new covenant glory, literally is not even worthy of honorable mention. It doesn't get runner-up. It doesn't get silver. It doesn't get sixth man of the year award. Nothing. It's not even worthy to compare to this new covenant unveiled glory in the person of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Ah, that's a pretty good deal. And then he gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and then he says that Satan, who at that time was the god of the age, King James says world, it doesn't mean the cosmos, because the earth is the Lord's. The earth is not the devil's. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. So this cosmos does not belong to Satan. Give me a break. I know we've been taught that. I can't help that. We've got to go with Scripture. 
So Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, the God of this age has blinded them from seeing the glorious gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's a lot that could be said about that. Um, but we just want to see what the veil is. And, you know, it's hard for us, I think, to appreciate this in some ways. The, the transition out of Mosaic law into lawless, Mosaic lawless, new covenant, pure grace. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's been fairly difficult for us to appreciate that, you know. Um, I don't know what a, a good frame of reference would even be for us on that, but talking about a significant uh, transition, to say the least. And there's some biblical parallels, uh, but we'll get into some of those types of things. Now, let me say this again. Just bear with me. I know I'm talking. I'm getting the ball rolling here, but notice this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, no, 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 Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, things which must soon, somebody say soon, soon. things which must soon take place. So when God gave the apocalypse to John, the unveiling to John, it was concerning things which must soon take place. As in, soon 2,000 years ago. Not soon for us. Soon for John 2,000 years ago. Now keep reading. Who testified the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ, even for all that he saw. Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For what? For the time is near, at hand, or near. So 2,000 years ago, twice at the very introduction of the book, the Lord says, these things will soon take place, for the time is at hand. Now, at hand, it means you can reach, it's so close you can reach out and touch it, right? It doesn't mean 2,000 miles away or 2,000 years off in the future. The time is at hand, all right? Now, this is the hardest thing because of 200 years, starting in the 1830s or so, uh, a new teaching called dispensationalism was invented and unfortunately accepted in many circles and handed off to the modern church. Now, let me say this. We just don't get this because we think the world revolves around America, and the world does not revolve around America. Um, and, you know, I'm pro-America, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying it's a big world out there. I, you know, I had a particular preacher friend. Some of you would know who, who he is. Um, a semi-well-known minister from another country. And he and I, when he was here at the States, uh, were in the car, and we were talking about some of America's eschatology. You know, the dispensationalism and future great tribulation and the church getting zapped out of the planet, beam me up, Scotty, and all. He, he said, in my country, we cannot believe that you Americans believe that stuff. He couldn't, he, like there was no, he could not believe. He just couldn't wrap his head that people believe this stuff. And we think it's orthodoxy, even though it's only 200-year-old system known as dispensationalism. And that's not debatable. That's not something that, well, that's your, no, it's not an opinion. We could, you know, right now I could show you the origins of dispensationalism, and it started in the 1830s with a guy named John Nelson Darby. And this whole system 
all right? Now, I know this is difficult, but I just want you to hear me out on this. The book of Revelation, the unveiling or the apocalypse, is an extremely Old Testament Old Testament you know, book. So the book of Revelation is not at all about 21st century geopolitical events, mostly revolving around America. All right? So the book of Revelation has nothing to do with the 21st century geopolitical events per se. At least, I mean, there's applications from all of Scripture. You know what I'm saying? That are timeless. But as far as the events talked about in the book, uh, that's not what it's about. So a lot of times you see stuff like, you know, there's an examples of where, you know, creatures are coming up out and, you know, they're locust and they're flying and they're, you know, and I've heard people say, well, John was trying to use his ancient mind to describe future events the best he could. And, you know, some of these things represent helicopters and some of these things represent, well, when John's talking about blood up to the horses, he may have just been talking about horses. I mean, there's a, that's just a thought. <laughs> it's just a, and then when John's talking about Old Testament things and plagues, maybe he's just talking about things from the Old Testament that are spiritual realities like demons and, uh, you know, Satan's called a great red dragon in the book of Revelation. Well, he's clearly not a literal red dragon. You know what I'm saying? And so on and on. And we looked at some of these things last week, and we'll, we'll try to get to some more of these things today, perhaps. But we just want to understand very clearly, the book is the unveiling of Jesus. It was about events that happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, there are timeless universal applications. But the book of Revelation, in a nutshell, was about the passing away of the old creation or the old heaven and earth or the old covenant system and the unveiling, the appearing of the new heaven and earth, the new creation, the new covenant system. All right? So we don't want to try to interpret the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus, through our daily news headlines. All right? So it's silly to say, well, I got the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Why are you interpreting the scripture, God's holy inspired scriptures through the unbelieving news reports of the 21st century? Give me a break. Let's interpret scripture with scripture. That's a pretty safe bet. Are you still out there or did you go home? Yeah. Okay. Now. Don't know where to find a newspaper. Uh, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> so he says, blessed is he who reads. Here's the version of prophecy. He the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Then he says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So this is Asia Minor. This is what is modern-day Turkey. So <clears throat> Asia Minor or Turkey. Let me, there's so many little tidbits here, it's, it's hard to fit it all in there. You don't want to give unnecessary details. When you read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you know, he goes to the seven churches. If you came from Rome to Jerusalem, you know, like he starts with the church of Ephesus, the, the seven churches are listed in the order that one would, through the main Roman road, it was called, 
not too deep, you know, that she would come from Rome to Jerusalem, the Roman road, you know, Highway 70, I-75, whatever, that she would take to get there. The seven churches are listed in the order that the person delivering these letters would take them to, all right? Ephesus and Smyrna and on and on. So they're listed in that particular order, all right? So these seven churches are, are dealing with uh, severe persecution. Now, you see that all through the New Testament, uh, particularly at, you know, during the Gospels, but particularly like in the book of Acts, right? Even, you know, chapters 3 and 4 and then chapter 5, they're being, you know, arrested and called up before councils and beaten. And, you know, in Acts chapter 5, they're worshiping God that they are worthy to be, uh, to suffer persecution for the sake of the Gospel. Isn't that awesome? You know, I think about the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Peter, church history tells us that he died uh, he was crucified, but he requested to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be to die in the same manner that his Lord died. Isn't that incredible? So he was crucified upside down because he didn't esteem himself worthy to die the same way that his Lord did. Ah, all right. So the Christians were suffering severe persecution from. The Jews, the unbelieving Jews, all right, and the Romans. Now, you guys have all heard of Nero, Emperor Nero. Nero launched severe, he had a 12-year rule, and he launched a severe persecution against the Christians, all right? Most notably, Nero himself most likely was the one who quite literally set Rome on fire. You know, what's that old saying about dancing while Rome is burning or, you know? He, there, there you go, yeah. He, so he could use it as an excuse to persecute the Christians. When Nero would have dinner parties at his, you know, whatever his place, yeah, I, there's kids present. This is pretty heavy, but uh, he would do very bad things to have light for his parties. Let's just put it that way. Uh, he was a sick bloke, man. And he died, his reign was from 80, 54 to 80, 68, 12 years, and he unlocked severe persecution against the Christians, all right? Um, which, by the way, the book of Revelation was written, it's hard to pinpoint it, but probably 66 to 67 or even 68 AD, right in that time frame. Uh, just a little frame of reference for you now, notice this here, though, as we try to start unpacking some of this. And isn't, you know, and I mentioned this last week, but it's a beautiful thing that the book of Revelation can make sense. Amen. And it doesn't have to be dark and cryptic, and I can't understand it. And every new election, there's a new Antichrist, and who do we have, you know, all this stuff, you know, it's, and just, just get ready for it. It doesn't matter. In a couple of years, there's going to be a new election, and there's going to be a couple of new Antichrists. Just get ready, every because you know, because we just assume that it, that these things have to do with modern American politics, and yet they don't. All right, and there, we have uh, prediction after prediction after prediction after prediction after failed prediction after failed prediction after failed prediction of these things that don't pan out because we're not looking at them from a biblical perspective. All right. So notice this, John to the seven churches. So John wrote these letters, so when we read the Apocalypse, or the unveiling of Jesus, we're quite literally reading someone else's mail. You know what I mean? We're reading someone else's mail, alright? 
Now notice this, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, love that. Now notice this, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and washed us or released us from our sins by his own blood. Isn't that good? Mm. And he made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, last week I mentioned to you that the words world and earth, world and earth, are used in the book of Revelation. And I, uh, I believe the number was 81 times. I've personally looked this up. Uh, I just don't have that number offhand. However, now you think about that. If my number is correct, whatever, it's, it's a high number. Maybe it's, even if it was 50, it'd be a lot, right? But whatever the exact number is, only three times is it the Greek word cosmos. So you read the book of Revelation and you think it's all of these literal worldwide events. Yet in the Greek, it always refers to, there's, there's three words, oikomene, which, and I mentioned this last week, you know, even in grocery stores, there's uh, a Greek yogurt now called oikos. You see this? That's, that's from oikomene. Oikomene refers to the Roman Empire. Like in Luke chapter 2, when it says Caesar uh, taxed the whole world, well, he didn't tax the aboriginals in Australia. You know what I'm saying? He didn't tax or census and tax the natives in, I mean, you know what I'm saying? He taxed the citizens of the known, conquered, civilized Roman world, his empire. All right? And then there's another word which is pronounced gay, G-E, and gay refers to the land of Israel. All right? A, a country within, literally in the Greek, a country within fixed borders. And it, and it specifically refers to Israel. So every time in Revelation, except three times, and I have those references for you here, it's always referring strictly to either the Roman Empire as a whole or Israel. All right? Uh, and just as a reference, just so you'll have this, uh, and let me just give you these. Uh, the three references here, first is Revelation chapter 11. And I hope this is okay. I know this is like teaching stuff instead of just, you know, preaching the house down or something. But um, hopefully you can dig it. You know. yeah. All right, good stuff. Awesome. Now check this out. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Now notice this. Revelation eleven fifteen. He says, the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, now notice this, the kingdom of the world. So this is one of the only three times in all of Revelation that the word world is the Greek word cosmos, which means the entirety, the physical creation, the world, all right? The way we would use it, you know. So he says, the kingdoms of this world, and notice he says, has become, or have become, so this has happened, the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. <clears throat> so anywhere we step foot, we could be walking, you know what I'm saying? You could be, you, you know, like they say, you know, you, you get so 
faced up, you could invade hell with a water pistol. You know what I'm saying? It's like wherever we step, you can even go to the Congo. And when you step there, that is that soil is owned by God and Sons Incorporated. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is the kingdom of our God. All right? Jesus said, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go you, therefore. Take this authority and go kick some butt. You know, you know what I'm saying? So just uh, all authority. Now, Revelation 13, and here's the second time where the word, you know, is refers to the cosmos. Revelation 13. Look at this. All who dwell on earth will worship him, everyone whose name is not written from the foundation in the uh, of the world. So the word world here, not the word earth. The word world. Am I losing here or is this too much? Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world. The word earth there is not the word cosmos, by the way. It's the, the word world. So ignore earth. Everyone whose name is not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Some of your translations say the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This is the better. That's not a bad thing, you know, but this is the better translation, better way to say it. Written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So that's two examples in the book of Revelation where the word world is cosmos. And the next scripture is the last time. Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Verse 8. The beast that you saw and uh, is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction, those who dwell on the earth, whose name was not written in the book of life from the foundation of the cosmos, the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was not, that he was and is not and will come. Now, so once again, in two of these three references, you have the book of life from the foundation of the world. So there you go. There's the only three times in the book of Revelation where the word world is used that it actually means the entirety, the cosmos. And I'm not going to give you all the examples of, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll turn back to Revelation 1 and you'll see a good example of where it's used differently. All right? Revelation 1. So, so, and of course, we can't cover everything in one day, you know what I'm saying? But uh, So now, like say today or tomorrow, you're at home and you read, you know, Revelation, whatever. You can read 10 chapters in 30 minutes an hour, you know. Every time. Well, what was it? Chapter 11, verse 15 is the first example. So every verse prior to that, if you see world or earth or land, it's not the cosmos. It's Rome or it's Israel. Because we think these are apocalypse, worldwide catastrophe. Literally doesn't mean any of that. Apocalypse literally means to reveal or to unveil. All right? Now, Revelation 1, 
check this out. Verse 7. So he just, you know, to the seven churches and the kingdom of priests unto our God forever and ever. And ever. Verse 7. It says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds. Now this is a Hebrew idiom. Do you know what I mean when I say an idiom? So today if I, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, another preacher friend of mine, uh, Bertie Bretz, if any of you have ever heard Bertie's teaching, uh, I asked Bertie one time, he was here, I said, I said, when you come to the States, are you able to keep up with all the idioms and all the colloquial <coughs> ways of speaking? And he said, you know, it took a little bit of work, but now for the most part, he can keep up. So what do I, you know, Bertie, man, yeah, I'll come big, man, it's raining cats and dogs. What the heck's going on in America, man? It's raining cats and dogs? You know, that's that's an expression. That's a, And I don't think we realized, it wasn't until I was with Bertie one time uh, that I started having to, like, try to consciously not, because you don't realize how much we say something. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know what I'm saying? Well, obviously, you know what I'm saying. You know, there's another. You know what I'm saying? So. No, I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. Well, shoot. Shoot. What's he going to shoot? Like, we just don't. Baby, you are hot. I don't know. I don't feel hot. I feel okay. Am I? No, I mean, we just don't realize, like, how often we do this, you know. We literally don't real. Well, literally, literally means according to the literature. But we use it for all sorts of, we literally use it all sorts of other ways. You know what I'm we just don't even begin because it, it's just a cultural. You know what I'm saying? So there it is again. See now you're gonna be you're gonna be focusing everything I say now to try. <laughs> That's okay. This is emphatically a Hebrew idiom. When the Jews talk about Yahweh coming in the clouds, it is not Jesus coming through the sky like a you know a meteor, but he's right because later on he's coming on a horse. Well, which so he's. Riding a horse that's on a cloud. Giddy up, let's go to earth. Oh, let's get the cloud. Let's, no, it's a Hebrew idiom. It refers to a judgment coming. Turn to Isaiah chapter 19. And I don't think I have it. I might. Uh, but you can turn now. Let's see if I have this again. And there's many other examples, but this is a, a very uh, prominent, I guess you would say, one. In my mind. Let's see if I have this. So it's raining cats and dogs, or literally, or <laughs> does anybody have another one off the top of your head? Off the top of my head. Off the top of my head. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> you old sly so and so. That's good. So and so. So and so. You old so and so. Alright, check this out. Isaiah 19. Look at verse, and I hope you're there because I don't have it up here. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 1. The oracle concerning. Egypt, Isaiah 19.1. And I want you to see this. That's why I'm just taking my time. The oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. 
The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. So this is not a visible appearance. It's a, it specifically refers to a judgment, what you might call a judgment coming. All right? So a cloud coming, and Jesus in Matthew 24 uses this language that he would, you know, come on the clouds and, uh, even sun, moon, and stars. We looked at that last week. That's a Hebrew idiom. All right? We talked about the sun will no longer give its light. Uh, what was it? The stars will fi fall to the earth. Uh, the moon will be turned to blood. Not literally. That's not, if one star fell to planet earth, this planet would be gone. And every, You know what I'm saying? If one star. But that's a Hebrew idiom because the sun, moon, and stars always refers to natural Israel. Joseph had a dream. Joseph dreamed that the sun, moon, and stars bowed down to him. Joseph tells the dream to his family. Who's Joseph's dad? Israel. Jacob or Israel. And Israel says what? Shall I, the sun, bow down to you? Your mother, the moon, bow down to you? And the stars, your brothers, bow down to you? course it happened later on but you know it's a Hebrew idiom so it's the sun moon and stars so when you read Matthew 24 and it's talking about the sun moon and stars Revelation 11 the sun moon and stars Joel chapter 2 Acts chapter 2 it literally it is literally it's not and I used to write because it's literally not according to the literature referring to the literal sun the actual physical moon or you know balls of gas out in the sky called stars falling to the planet. That's not what it's talking about. Alright, so even here in Isaiah 19, behold the Lord's coming on a swift cloud, and the idols will tremble at his presence, the heart of the Egyptians will melt. It's a judgment coming. Now, and there's other Old Testament examples, but we only have so much time, and your brain can only take so much. Now, back to Revelation, please. The good news is we're recording. Wanda, is the stream on? Yes. Okay, <laughs> So this is recorded, and last week I encourage you to check out but, um, as well, you know, but whatever. Uh, but nonetheless, back to Revelation, check this out. Back to chapter 1. I did that myself. Maybe. But it's nice, you know, because Jesus says there, blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy. And heeds it. It's nice that you can read the words of this prophecy and it makes sense. Amen. You know, thank God it's not about North Korea having nukes. I don't think North Korea having nukes is a particularly good thing. But that's not what the book of Revelation is about. You know, and so it's nice to understand these things. Now, behold, look at this. Behold, he comes with the clouds. So we see this is Jewish expression here, all right? It's a judgment coming. Now notice this, and this is where you've got, and I know you already are, but just bear with me. You gotta pay attention, all right? Look what it says. Every eye will see him. That is, or even those who pierced him. So this has to happen in the generation, the lifetime of the people who crucified him. They're not alive today. I don't know if you know that. But those Roman guards are not at church today. Not this church. You know what I'm saying? Like they're they're dead. All right? Is that a deep revelation, or do you get that? 
<laughs> okay. So he says, every eye will see him, even, or that is, those who pierced him. Now, pay attention to what we learned about world and earth a few minutes ago. Look what it says here. And all the tribes of the earth, well, Jordan, see right there, it says all the tribes of the earth. That's not the Greek word cosmos. That's the Greek word gay. And it refers to the tribes. We don't have tribes today. I mean, maybe if you're Scottish, you might have a clan. But, you know, we're not really tribing it up too much. Not here. Not most of the world. Not too, I'm, Ray and Jane, I don't know if you can see some tribes. You know, but most of us aren't seeing too many tribes here. All right? So, all the tribes of the, the better translation, and maybe some of your translations do it this way. All the tribes of the land, because that's the Greek word gay, and it literally means the land of Israel. All the tribes of the land, because he's there, you know what I'm saying? He came through them. He's their Messiah. He's our Savior, but you know what I'm saying? All the tribes of the land will mourn over him. Well, why are they mourning him? Because they pierced him. They rejected him. They didn't recognize him at his coming. But now, at this cloud judgment coming, they're going to recognize him. All right? That... that this really was the Messiah. Because all the Old Testament <laughs> prophecies, the day of the Lord, Malachi chapter 4, the day, great and terrible day of the Lord, Deuteronomy chapter 33, the song of Moses and the last days of Israel, all the things that would happen to them were all being fulfilled in this first generation by the Jews who rejected their Messiah. All right, And they recognized this because they weren't interpreting their scriptures through modern you know, 21st century news headlines. They knew their scriptures and what was unfolding before them. Look at this. I am Alpha. I am Omega. The Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. I, John, your brother. Now notice this. This is a little difficult, but bear with me. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in what? The tribulation. So John says he was a fellow participator, partaker in the tribulation. Now, the New Testament, I think three times, maybe two times, uses the phrase great tribulation. The Old Testament had another phrase for it. The prophet Jeremiah called it the time of Jacob's trouble. Tribulations from the word trouble. And who is Jacob? Israel. The time of Israel's trouble or tribulation. So again, this is a Jewish concept. When we under, If we can just understand that eschatology, the doctrine of last things, is a Jewish concept, just like animal sacrifice, just like Messiah, just all these things are Jewish concepts. If we can just understand that we don't separate eschatology and put it in a 21st century American context, leave it with the rest of the Bible, put it in a Jewish context, you understand? And again, like the rest of this, it begins to make much, much, much sense. Am I getting anywhere? Okay. Even if you don't agree, am I making sense? Yes. Good deal. All right. So the tribulation, notice this, John, Jesus is communicating through John, to seven literal churches 2,000 years ago. John tells them, I am your brother and a fellow participant in this tribulation, this great tribulation, all right? So this great tribulation 
was for the Jewish people in the first century. So today there are troubles, there are hostilities, there are political things and war, there's all these things going on, but not the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation was a Jewish concept that happened, okay? Now here's what, if, if you're not familiar with any of this, let me just quickly fill this out here. Most of you are, as we touch on this all the time. Jesus was crucified in the year 30 AD. He was 33, but the year was 30 AD, all right? Bef shortly before his crucifixion, in Matthew 24, and Luke 21 and Mark 13, there are versions of it. But Matthew 24, Jesus said, truly I say to you. So Jesus, liter you know, literally, talking to people in front of him, just like this, said to them, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All right? So Jesus told them that a biblical generation is 40 years. And we get that repeatedly, Old and New Testament, from the concept of the children of Israel in the wilderness after the Exodus. God re repeatedly referred to them, this you know, stiff-necked generation, this rebellious generation. He continually called them you know, this unbelieving generation. The author of Hebrews in chapters 3 and 4 calls them a generation. And so that's a very understood concept all right, in the Jewish mind. And there's so much precedence for this. Jesus is crucified in 30 AD. He says this generation and all the things that Jesus said would happen, we know from scripture and church history that everything that he said would happen did happen. All right? False messiahs, wars, rumors of wars, uh, the tribulation, you, you, we know from scripture. So, you, you know, false messiahs, false. John said in 1 John chapter 4, many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we see that. John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he said, this is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah come in the flesh. He said, and he said, there are many Antichrists even now. Did you know that's in your Bible? Turn to 1 John 2. Look at that. <clears throat> it's so, uh, I love it when this stuff makes sense. That's what propelled me into this, because I got tired. I got so tired. That was the, 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 what's it called? Here's another idiom for you. Uh, the needle on the, the camel, the haystack, or the straw. You broke the camel and the stack. Whatever. You broke it, man. That thing came undone for me. There we go. I don't know. Where did that come from? I don't know. Crazy preachers, I tell you. <laughs> the straw that broke the camel's neck. So, it's because I got so fed up with the fact that God's not the author of confusion. And I can listen to 10 different preachers, and every single one of them will use the same three scriptures, but all 10 of them have 10 different views. And they all make sense. That's the part that I got fed up with. Like, this cannot, God is not the author of confusion. And there's only one mark that by its very title is claiming to reveal something. And how many of you in this room have ever said, I don't even read Revelation. It just it scares me and or it doesn't make sense and or it's frustrating and or whatever. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Look at that. And that is common. And these, as Paul, these things ought not be. You know what I'm saying? So, it just... 
understanding this from the proper Jewish biblical context, not the modern 21st century Western geopolitical context, uh, interpreting scripture with scripture, God forbid, it starts to make sense. And I've heard people say, oh, I can't remember where it's at, but doesn't Revelation say somewhere? Well, when it starts making sense, you remember where somewhere is, because it starts making sense, all right? And it's a beautiful thing. So, and I know I told you first, John, Jesus is crucified in 30 AD. He said, this generation will not pass. Biblical generation, 40 years. Exactly 40 years later, this destruction culminated with the destruction of Jerusalem and their temple in the year 70 AD. All right? So that's when the animal sacrifices ended. You know, Jews don't kill animals today. They don't have a temple. Why don't they have a temple? It was destroyed when Jesus said it would be destroyed. 70 AD. There is no Levitical priesthood. Why isn't there a priesthood? Because they had to keep strict genealogical records of through the, you know, the priestly lineage. That lineage was destroyed in the temple in 70 AD. So you build a temple, who's going to be a priest? Well, we don't know because the lineage is, you know. And that's another thing. Every other day, I'm so tough. Oh, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a new temple. There's going to be a new temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> God forbid any blood-bought Christian ever volunteers to go to Jerusalem to have a stinking lamb shed for atonement for you. The lamb was shed for you. Amen? Amen? If you want to eat some mutton, you want some lamb, go, go eat some lamb. But don't you dare go, you know, overstep the blood of the lamb to go to the inferior blood of animals. First John chapter 2. Look at this. I mean, we don't even have to guess at this stuff. We've had a lot of help missing these things. First John chapter 2, verse 18. This is ridiculous, and here it is. It's, it's right here in our face. Children, first John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour. 2,000 years ago, John said it was the last hour. Before the cross, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. But after the cross, the Spirit of God is poured out. The Spirit, who Jesus told them, will lead you into all truth. So they go from last days to last time to last hour within that generation. John says it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, 2,000 years ago, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. Look at verse 22. Who is a liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. This is Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. So I don't have to guess if the next presidential whatever is the Antichrist. I don't have to worry about some guy, you know... He, I'm trying, when I was growing up, it was going to be a guy from, uh, where was it, Turkey? Somewhere, you know, in the... Romania. Where were you? Romania. Romania. Oh, Romania. Nice. You know, it's, it's always, some, then it's the Russians, because it's, the, you know, it's always some modern news headline version, but never the biblical. And here is scripture, not some TV preacher we don't like. I mean, not a guess, not a theory, not I think. Not, this is scripture, and it says, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So there we go. 
The word antichrist is not in, by the way, the book of Revelation at all. Right? But here we see John telling us antichrist is this the, the Messiah coming in the flesh and shedding real blood for our sin. And you know what I'm saying? So we don't have to sit around and flip coins and guesses and look at who's going to be, you know, some guy from uh, Asia or uh, Europe or no, we know who the Antichrist is. Aren't you glad it's not Ken? I thought it might be, and then I read first. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah, he's happy about it too, right? It's any dumb devil that comes along and says Jesus isn't Lord, Messiah, Savior, and lives, you know. That's it. That is the Antichrist. Now look at this. Back to Revelation 1. I, John, am your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation, the kingdom, perseverance, which are in Jesus. I was on the isle called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a uh, loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, not to America, to the seven churches then and there. In Asia. Asia Minor, Turkey, those guys. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Once again, as I mentioned earlier, if you are traveling from Rome to Jerusalem, this is the actual order that you would have come into before arriving at Jerusalem. Ephesus first, then Smyrna, all right, all these things. Uh, then he says this, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, does that remind, see this should start, this should start triggering your mind, trumpets, that's a Jewish concept, shofar, you start seeing one like the Son of Man. That's right from the book of Daniel. I looked and I saw one in there like the Son of Man. This is Jewish language. He was clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with the golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Oh, I love this. His, 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 his hair, it's purity. Speaks of his purity. His eyes were like fire. He's, he is burning with intense, fiery love for his people. All right? His feet were uh, like burnished bronze when it's made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And I love this because, you know, God can speak to us in, in different ways. And I've had, the, I, I've had experiences where it was like the Lord spoke to me. Through, I don't know how to explain it, but God will speak to you. Sometimes God will speak to you in pictures. All the time I see words written above people's heads and God's telling me something, you know. I, whenever Linda and my family, we went to uh, Lynn Hiles' conference back in, I think, April, uh, there was a minister guy there. I had never met him. And uh, we're just in the service, you know, but when you're a prophetic person, you know, these things happen. And it, may, it can happen to anybody. Don't misunderstand me. But... Uh, but these things happen, you know, regularly. And I'm sitting in the service, and I see this guy over here, and I see what to me looks like a piece of paper, like a contract, and I see a pen. And so I don't, you know, so I just think about it and sit on it, pray about it, and 
uh, no telling. I said, hey, man, you know, I, nice to meet you, da, 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 da. I said, you know, just during the service here, I keep, every time I look at you, I see a, like a contract written above your head. Instantly, he said, oh, yeah, I don't, I know what that is. I know what that is. Okay. I know what you're talking about. There is a contract thing. I got to do it. I mean, it's got to just show you. I see words written over people's heads all the time. It's just incredible. You know, it's wonderful. So, God will speak to you in a way that makes sense to you. So he said, I heard the sound like many waters. Check this out. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. What's that? The word of God. Now this is the context of, you start seeing this play out through the book of Revelation. Of course, Hebrews 4 tells us the word of God is like this two-edged sword, right? And it was the Romans uh, who invented, by the way, the two-edged sword. Nonetheless, and this is a time when Rome is the dominant empire. That's kind of interesting. But this two-edged sword, this, this speaks of the word of God. And in this specific context, one edge is the old covenant curses. But one edge is the new covenant blessings. And he's dividing down the line all throughout this apocalypse, this unveiling of himself. Old covenant, new covenant. The whole book has this this motif of creation. Um, if I can say it this way, the book of Revelation is dealing with an uncreation. I don't know if there better, well, there's a better word, I'm sure, but there's an, uncre an undoing. You know, the scriptures speak in multiple places, Isaiah, Hebrews, about the heavens rolling up like a scroll and fleeing from before him. There's an uncreation motif, then a recreation a new creation motif, all right? And you see in the book of Revelation that two-edged sword dividing the line. You know what I'm saying? So cutting in half, old covenant, new covenant. He says, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And there's much precedence for that throughout Scripture. Uh, but look at the next verse. When I, it's so funny. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't know about that falling down stuff. You know, somebody prays for you and somebody gets, you know, they fall down. Is that stuff real? When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Well, you tell me. Let's ask John if it's real. You know what I mean? <laughs> when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Lost all strength. And I've, I've, you know, probably many of us have experienced that. But here's the beautiful part. He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Fear not. That's our Jesus. So in the apocalypse, he's telling his people, don't be afraid. I'm the first, I'm the last. I'm in the in Greek, I'm Alpha, I'm Omega. In Hebrew, Aleph, Tom, all right? So I'm the first and the last. I am the living one, I was dead, but behold, I love one of my favorite verses, tattooed inside of my eyelids, love it. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Of course, Hades was the Jewish holding tank, if you will. So within Abraham's bosom. Now the Jews, to this day, they don't have a concept of heaven and hell like we do. They believe there's, the ones that do believe in an afterlife, then and now, believe there's just one place. Everybody goes there. All right? In Hebrew, it was called Sheol. But the Greeks had a similar concept, the abode of the dead, Hades. All right? So the abode of the dead. But Jesus 
by resurrecting triumphant over death itself, took these keys of death and hell or death and Hades. That's a pretty good deal. All right? So, he says, Therefore, John, write the things which you have seen. Well, what did he see? He, he just told us this experience of the living, resurrected, unveiled Jesus. What did John just see? The unveiling of Jesus in his glory. See, 2 Corinthians 3, when it says, By the Spirit of the Lord, we go from glory to glory. In its most foundational context, he's saying, we go from this old covenant glory to the new covenant glory. All right? So, he saw the unveiled Jesus. He said, write the things you have seen, which is the revealed, unveiled Jesus. The things which are, now the things which are, are chapters 2 and 3. The things to the seven churches and their immediate, their local body, in other words. Because Jesus gave each of them little specifics, all right? And the things which will take place after these things. And of course, we know that the things which would take place were at hand, near, and would soon take place. All right? Beautiful. Then he says, verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars. So here's what we see. We see from the onset, he's using prophetic images. Do you understand? Spiritual prophetic realities. All right? Notice this. He says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, the word angels is the Greek word angelos, and it means messenger. The messengers. So, like we looked at it last week. Is it Revelation 10? It says the angel came down and he had the rainbow on his head. And we know it's talking about Jesus. It means the messenger. He's the messenger of the new covenant. All right? So this probably refers to the, 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 the leaders of these seven bodies, these seven congregations. All right? The, the angels are the messengers of the seven churches. And the lampstands are the seven churches. Now, we got just, a, just give me a few minutes here. I'm not going to be as long as last week. You're welcome. Turn to the next chapter, and I'll just give you a couple of just little tidbits here. Now, I want you to understand, once again, and I know I'm so, you know, repetitive, I guess, on some of these issues. But, you know, I think we need to, to have this drilled into us. He's helping these seven churches transition in the midst of their tribulation. He's helping them repent or rethink metanoia from an old covenant mentality and mindset into a full, unveiled purity of the new covenant mindset. All right? And I just want to give you a few little pieces here, and I think this will help you tremendously. Verse 1, Revelation 2, 1. So what he saw, Jesus unveiled, and then here are the things that are at that time. All right, now, Revelation 2.1, uh, to the messenger, the angelos, the angel, the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his uh, hand, right hand, which speaks of authority, 
The one who, look at this, the one who walks among the seven lampstands. Aren't you glad Jesus holds the whole body and yet each individually? He holds all in his hand. That's good. That's good news, man. Jesus said in John chapter 10, you're in my father's hand, you're in my hand, and nothing or no one can ever remove you. That's pretty good, y'all. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Ah, now, verse 2. He says, I know your deeds, which Hebrews chapter 6 says, God is not uh, unfaithful to forget your work and labor of love. That's awesome. So he says, I know your deeds. And your toil. And your perseverance. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. Now we got to put a context on that. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, your father is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So, of course, he unfolds what the context here is. False ministers, false gospel, false apostles trying to destroy and pervert the gospel. All right? Now, and you'll see that as we unfold this here. He said, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, you can't tolerate evil men. Now, look at this. That you put to test those who call themselves apostles, but they are not. And you have found them to be false. Now notice this. Who's, which church is he talking to here? Ephesus. Now, if, if you look at Acts chapter 20, I want you to see this. This is just right here, interpreting scripture with scripture. Acts chapter 20. If I can get there myself. Look here at verse, uh, let's see where we're going to start. Verse 17. Acts 20, 17. And this is my first closing. He says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. So Paul is talking to Ephesus, the, the Ephesian leaders here. The elders of the church in Ephesus, and next verse says, they came unto him. Now we can't read all these verses. Jump down to verse 29. He says, I know, Paul talking to the leaders in Ephesus, he says, I know after my departure that savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. Even, Paul is talking to these leaders, and he says, even from among yourselves, check this out, even from among yourselves, uh, they will arise speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore be on alert, remembering night and day in the period of three years that I did not cease to admonish you. Now I commend you, verse 32, to the grace of God. So here's the answer. Here's the remedy from the savage wolves, the men perverting the gospel to create their own, no, disciples unto themselves. I commend you to the grace of God which is able to edify you, build you up, and give you an inheritance among all of those who are set apart or sanctified. Then he says in verse, uh, well, no, let's not read all this. Uh, let's stop right there. Let's jump back here. Now, I just wanted you to see that. Back to Revelation.
So we see Jesus talking about these false apostles, but we see many years prior to that, in the book of Acts, we see Paul warning them this was going to happen. See, isn't it beautiful when you interpret Scripture with Scripture? Mm-hmm. All right, and it starts coming together. And you realize things that are there that you just read a million times and it missed somehow. You know? He says, verse 3, and, and he says, And you, you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now notice this. This is where people get smacked around, and I at least want to leave you with this. He says, But I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. Now again, we, we've all been uh, terrorized and slapped around with that verse, haven't we? Now this is John, and what's he, you know, the Lord through John, the author of, you know, John of this book, says you've left your first love. Now, religion says, see that? You don't love God like you used to. You're not on fire anymore. You're not jealous. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And we say that's your first love. But that's not interpreting scripture with scripture. If we interpret scripture with scripture, as we've said many times, what does John, the same author, say in 1 John chapter 4? Nobody? Herein is love, not that you love God, but that he first loved. Only two times that expression is used by the same author. He says here, you left your first love, which is God's love for you. Because legalism always perverts it and tries to make it about your love for God. But the gospel is not our love for God. It's good to love God, but the good news of salvation, God's gospel, is God's love for you. Amen. Alright? So he says, you left your first love. Alright? Now, and you can just, I guess we might as well look at it, because, and I'll put it up here very quickly in my second closing. 1 John 4. What's he say here? Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Uh, he that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. All right? Um, and then back in Revelation here. So the first love is not your love for God. It's God's love for you. See, legalism... The old covenant system was trying, because under the law, what's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your... Well, yes, under the law, that is the first commandment. But under the new covenant, there's a new system. Love as I have loved you. First love, his love for us. All right? And I would encourage you, instead of sitting there and deflecting that mentally, just try to give it a chance. It might be a pretty good deal for you. That went over big. <laughs> but I have this against you. You left your first love, which is God's love for you. Therefore, remember where you have fallen. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about falling in Galatians chapter 5. And what did he say? You fall from grace when you try to be justified, made righteous by the works of the law. So trying to be right with God through works, trying to love God first, is how you fall from grace. But we come back up to that high plane, the higher place, not the fallen lower place. We come back to the high heavenly place when we position ourselves in the place of his love for us. First love, all right? 
We love because he first loved. So rethink and do the deeds you did at first. Receive God's love for you and let that life flow out of you. Instead of doing works to try to prove your love for God. Let his love motivate you from a pure place to godliness and good works. And he says, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand. That doesn't mean, uh, what is a lamp? A lamp speaks of light and illumination. So he doesn't say he's going to come and they won't be saved anymore. He's saying their illumination and revelation, their influence, their spreading of light, there's, darkness is going to close in. Because illumination, revelation, God's truth is based on the first place, the first principle, the first love, his love for us. So it's a dark, blind system trying to build on our works for God. But illumination, revelation, truth is his love for us. All right? Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things in here I wish I could say, but uh, just don't have time. So I think I'm going to stop right around here. I'll tell you what, let me read this next verse here. He says, Yet you, have, you do have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And very, very little is known about who these Nicolaitans were. It's probable from church history. As a matter of fact, uh, Nicholas, the Nicolaitans, Nicholas, uh, Irenaeus, if any of you have ever heard of church father Irenaeus, Irenaeus said Nicholas was one of the seven deacons. You know, in Acts chapter 6, whenever they appointed men to serve and men that were full of faith and wisdom, Nicholas, from church history, according to Irenaeus, the Nicolaitans, was one of the deacons that they appointed there. But later on, he apostatized and made his own sect called the Nicolaitans. There's not a whole lot known about him, but it was a perversion from the gospel. And he's one of these guys who was a false apostle who tried to make apostles under his own message, his own sect, if you will, these Nicolaitans. Last verse, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's pretty interesting, by the way, that in the Gospels, Jesus uses the phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, seven times, and then he uses he who has ears to hear seven times here in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. Just a cool little parallel there, you know. Um, he says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, and God help us with this verse, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now this is really interesting too, and I am closing. Because you guys read Acts chapter 16, and you see that Paul goes in there and he casts the devil out of that soothsaying woman. And uh, what they got upset at him. All the, the people in the town who were metal workers who made idols, they said, he's taken away all our business, he's taken away all of our money, because who was the great goddess of Ephesus? The great goddess? Diana. All right? And so, really interesting, and it's just part of the historical context of this, in Ephesus, at the place where they built the temple, there was what was probably a meteor or some, some sort of idolatrous thing that they had believed was from the heavens and from the gods. And uh, there's a tree there that the Ephesians, in their temple sanctuary thing that they built to, uh, to Diana there in Ephesus, they had their rock, which was the, the big thing, you know, that supposedly, probably a meteor, but came from the gods. Um, there was a tree that sprung up next to the rock, and they actually called it the tree of life. And it was believed 
that that's where Diana, the great goddess, originated from. The gods sent this. I forget, you would know, Diana was, uh, I think she was the daughter of uh, Zeus or one of Zeus's sons in Greek mythology. I'd have to look it up. But anyways, you see the specific context here. And you can go look it up. This place was called Paradiso, or paradise. And Jesus is speaking in pictures and images and language that these Ephesians clearly understood. All right? And of course, this biblical truth too, you know, nonetheless. But he tells them here, him who overcomes, I will grant to you to the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So he says, the real tree of life is not Diana, not Greek paganism, mythology, uh, none of that. The true paradise is the person of Jesus. The true tree of life is not some tree in Ephesus where Diana came from. It's the cross. He's shifting them out of these things that are perverting the truth of the gospel into new covenant, unveiled, apocalypse, apocalyptic realities of Jesus. And he says, who overcomes? You can turn to 1 John chapter 4 and he says, who is he who overcomes? Except he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Amen? All right. That's enough for a month. So, any closing thoughts, questions, comments? Wow. Wow. No, I didn't know if you were wowing at my bad whistling. No. Or, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it awesome that, and I know this was a heavy day, I, I get that, and it's going to get a little easier. Uh, just laying necessary foundation, that's all. But it's a beautiful thing that this book makes sense. And it's not some bizarre, you know, 21st century America. You know, people get wild, man. There, there's an eagle mentioned in Revelation. Oh, that's America. <clears throat> yeah, because there never was an eagle before America, so it's got to be that America. You know? I mean, it's just all this stuff that people... No, it's a Jewish book with Jewish concepts, with a Jewish Messiah, with Jewish understandings. So animals coming out of grounds aren't helicopters. You know, it's, it's demon spirits. Horses are horses. You know, these things are uh, scripturally and historically verifiable. So and, is there a virgin, a virgin or Britain? Uh... Yeah, oh no, no that's not happening. <laughs> There's not enough eternities for me to sit down and do that. Uh, a, little, a little study goes a long way. And even today, I gave you the only three times. Just that alone is worth the price of admission. You know what I'm saying? Just I gave you the only three verses in Revelation where the word world means the cosmos. And every other single 70-something times, it means Rome or Israel. That alone, just... The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.